Hello, hello, and hello, and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. After a brief six-month hiatus, I am back. You know, the Dare Bear Army out there, you know, my my endless fans, you guys were begging for me to come back, and hey, I'm back. I know the wait was a little longer than expected, but I'm back, and I'm ready to deliver to you babies, my my Dare Bear babies out there. Thank you for being patient with me, but but trust me, it w- it'll be worth the wait because today we are talking about a series that really caught me off guard, one that's really caught my attention for the last few days here as I've been binging it, as I've been injecting it into my veins. That series is Swarm. Swarm is an Amazon Prime original series. It is written and directed by Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors. The synopsis for this series is an obsessed Houston-based fan goes to increasingly violent lengths for her favorite R&B singer. This series, guys, I mean, this series is honestly one of the crazier things I've seen recently. Like I said, Donald Glover directed and wrote this series, and that's all I knew about it going in. If you, like myself, have seen Atlanta, that's probably enough uh, to go in with blind faith and just trust that what you're going to get is going to be quality. It was that and then some, guys. So uh, I can't wait to unpack it and get into all the nitty-gritty details with you. Uh, But for now, let's go ahead and roll the intro. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. So right off the bat, if you're listening to this and you haven't already seen the series, I mean, I don't know what you're doing here really, but let it be known that it's pretty impossible to talk about this show without giving spoilers. So, I mean, if, if for some reason you're just curious of whether or not I recommend this show, I recommend this show. Don't walk, run to your screen and put this on. It's only seven episodes. Each episode is about 30 minutes, give or take. Uh, it's a great watch. It's a quick watch. And I promise the second that you start it, you're not going to want to look away. You know, when you look at the overview for this series, it's rated R. It's it's considered a thriller series. You know, and tonally, I would say it's a it's a very equal blend of Atlanta, like I said, Donald Glover Atlanta. Definitely Euphoria. There's there's a sensibility in the overall tone and camera work that gives a Euphoria vibe. Uh, and then End of the Fucking World on Netflix. I know that one's a little bit more niche compared to the other two I just quoted, but. It feels like they put those three shows, blended it all together, and got this perfect con- this perfect cocktail that is warm. It's it's oozing with originality. That being said, you know, it, of course, it pays homage to the properties that I just mentioned, but it's oozing with originality and its unique tone and personality that it's bringing to the table. You know, one thing I noticed in the first few episodes in particular is this kind of blending of surrealism within their storytelling. This is something that happens in Atlanta all the time. Um, Sometimes I think that Atlanta actually goes a little too far with it, where you don't know where the lines blur between reality and, you know, just characters perceiving reality. You know what I mean? Um, I think that this show has that, but doesn't take it too far. I think they actually walk that line perfectly and keep the narrative still grounded within reality. Sometimes you'll see things that are happening on screen that are just from our main character's point of view and isn't actually what's happening around them. But they make that clear. They make the disconnect between her reality and the world that's happening outside of her very clear. And I really appreciate that. They allow you to go on these journeys of surrealism that explore 
um, you know, emotionally where a character's at without losing the space that we're currently grounded in. I think that's something that a lot of shows struggle with. Um, increasingly, I think that it's something I see in a lot of fiction is just what you see on screen isn't supposed to really be happening or it's a visual metaphor for the current state of a character. But if you don't properly communicate that, sometimes it could become very jarring and just confusing from the audience. I think that this show is one that probably will be confusing for a lot of people that watch it. Um, it's based off of a true story of a basically a crazed fan who goes on a spring of murders all because of their intense allegiance to their fandom. In this series, they are using Beyonce. Uh, they call the character in the, in the show Nyjah is our stand-in for Beyonce. And, you know, they kind of make reference to the, the Bay Hive, if you will. Um, and, you know, that's directly referenced here as the Beehive. That being said, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, and I want to touch on that character and that specific, that specific commentary a little bit later. But for now, let's start where the only logical place is to at the beginning. Episode one is an excellent journey into this series. I actually feel like episode one, it's a great pilot because it kind of feels like a bottle episode. The whole time, I'm trying to get my bearings on, okay, what kind of story are we getting here? I intentionally didn't watch too much promotional material for the series. I saw a couple TikToks just scrolling through that were talking about the series that and why it should be on my radar. But, you know, I tried to avoid spoilers because I had a feeling that what we were getting with the series was going to be something special. And I wanted to just go in blind and get surprised. I actually recommend that for anyone, everyone who I've mentioned this to watch this series so far. I've told him, don't watch the trailer, just trust it, just go in. Because I think the journey that you go on in episode one is actually a really great one in terms of playing with the audience's expectations on what you're going to get out of this narrative. We're first introduced to our main character, Dre, who pretty immediately, I think that especially in episode one, you can see the writing on the wall that this character is designed to be a neurodivergent coded character. Um, I believe she has autism. That being said, as we grow to learn more and more about our main character, Dre, uh, the layers of her trauma and all the reasons why she is at least seemingly off kilter to everyone at first, uh, you know, there's a specific cocktail of things going on with our character there. That being said, uh, I don't think it would be denied that she has, uh, you know, some level of autism in some direction on top of some other perhaps psychotic tendencies and shared traumas that kind of get her to where she's at when we meet her. But it's immediate to us, the audience, that she's a little bit spaced out, harmless, of course, um, but gets herself into trouble uh, socially a lot just because of how the world perceives her and how she navigates the world. She pretty immediately kind of goes down the hall in her home and she sees her sister, Marissa, who's a big character in the series, uh, having sex with her own boyfriend. Of course, no problem at all. Uh, there's this moment when Dre kind of lingers at the door and makes eye contact with Marissa's boyfriend. And, you know, there's a very sexually charged moment there. Uh, very odd, very interesting. Immediate, you know, this is the first few minutes of the series. And I, what this is telling to me you know, in this moment, as a viewer who hasn't seen anything going into it, it feels like you're about to get into a euphoria type show where we're going to be dealing with the drama of people getting jealous with each other, people hooking up behind each other's back, that whole thing. You know, it really feels like at first 
the point of of our introduction to Dre is to explore perhaps her sexuality and her relationship with who is revealed to be her sister shortly after this, but we're not sure what the relationship quite is at the time. It's clear that they're close, but it's not until later that we fully understand the context of their relationship. The boyfriend of her sister Marissa, you know, especially throughout episode one, he is a threat. He, every time he's on screen past this moment, there's a, there's an energy around him that just creates him as, he, he just adds tension to any scene that he's in. You don't know if he's going to be a predator towards Dre. You don't know if he's going to cause problems between his sister and her. You don't know if he's going to be abusive. He's he's lighthearted. He's goofy. But every it's something down to the mannerisms. And I actually have to really give credit to that actor. I'll have to look it up a little bit later in this conversation. But the way that he communicates this like mild threat, this casual threat that everyone would let, allow you to get close. But then once he is close, he has the potential to do real harm was very well executed. He walked that line perfectly and I would say realistic. Like I know I know that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he he reads as a very true character to me. That's one thing that the cast and the actors just are really doing a great job of throughout this series is this world feels lived in. You know, there's moments where they introduce a character that, you know, the way that they're communicating or the actions they're taking just seem a little bit ridiculous. Like, okay, I don't know I don't know if this girl is going to randomly come up to you in the store and try to be your friend. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen in public, but when they when we're actually sitting in these scenes and allowing the characters to have these dialogues, they feel utterly realistic, especially in terms of capturing the black community. Uh, that's something that Atlanta knocked out of the park, and it's something that this show does just as well. The way that the black community uh, you know, communicates just kind of in a separate way to each other, I, I think that they capture that in just such a on-point way. So throughout the first episode, we're basically dealing with the drama of kind of the chaos that Dre causes within the life that Dre and Marissa have built together. It's clear they live together, they're kind of a team, they work together, and Marissa has an aspiring, you know, she's an aspiring makeup artist, and it seems like she's actually finding relevant success within that. And the drama of their everyday life is that because Dre struggles to navigate the world on her own, she kind of relies on Marissa, uh, relies on, excuse me, uh, Dre relies on Marissa. Uh, Because of that, she gets Marissa into trouble and she she starts to hold Marissa back a little bit within her world. While this is happening, uh, Marissa's boyfriend is still subtly hitting on Dre. So there's a lot of tension being built up here and we're really just dealing with the drama of the fact that Dre, even though she has the best intentions throughout this episode one, she's doing everything right. Like she's trying to make the best decisions possible. It's just circumstantially that she's getting everyone into trouble and creating problems. It's while Dre is actually covering for Marissa at work that Marissa's boyfriend comes and starts to cause problems and basically pulls her away from her duties, which then uh, allows for some uh, young hooligans to come and mess up the work stand and spray paint it and steal from their register, which gets everyone into huge trouble. So now Marissa's on the deep end, Dre's in trouble. Uh, it's doubtful that either of them have a job, which leads to a huge argument with them back home. Again, we're just leaning into the teenage drama at this point. This isn't, we haven't arrived at where the show really takes it. Uh, Marissa and Dre have a big fight. You know, they they go off into their own little worlds. This is where it gets interesting for Dre because we see an aspect of her character that doesn't really get touched upon again. This Dre is 
a jack of all trades. She she slips into so many different identities throughout the series, and this is our first glimpse into that. So up to this point, you know, she's just been this, you know, Nija obsessed fan. Uh, she loves her sister. She's definitely autistic, and she's just doing her best to navigate her world. But it's when Marissa leaves her side. It's when Dre is left in isolation. First, you see her kind of, you know, drain, just just spin out a little bit. She freaks out for a bit, but then she decides to really step into her bad bitch energy and just hit up a club and go dancing and party and hook up with some random guy the next day. This is something that just gets moved over really quickly within the narrative. And I I struggle to find how this piece of the puzzle fits into Dre as a character at large. I'll leave that for the big YouTube deep divers to figure out. And I'm really curious. I, I hope by the end of this conversation, I can maybe find some clarity on what that means for her overall character. But in the moment, it's just meant as a big zag where you expect a zig. It's this whole time you've been introduced to her in this one context, and then they present what might be the assumed opposite of her character. Oh, uh, the opposite of what's been so soft-spoken before is someone who's fully confident, goes out, she looks hot as hell, and like does her thing at the club and hooks up with the guy. That being said, when she wakes up the next day, she finds all these missed messages and phone calls from her sister Marissa. Hey, just found out my boyfriend's cheating on me. Where are you? I need you right now. I need you. I need you. I'm sorry is the penultimate final text. By the time Dre makes it back to Marissa, it's clear that Marissa unalived herself. She took her own life because of everything that she was dealing with and holding on to. Um, it's, uh, it's a very painful button to end the episode on, but what it does is it really sets the tone. So what, what we've done already in this first episode is we've zigged and we've zagged, right? And then we do it one more time. We zig, we zag, and then we zoog. <laughs> uh, so again, we're, we introduce, uh, you know, it seems just like a teenage euphoria drama series. And then we turn it on its head just a little bit again when we see Dre going out to the club and really being really confident within her own body. And then we get one more one more turn, and that's that, oh, the stakes are death. Uh, the stakes aren't just this drama. The, the scales have been raised, and we are dealing with literal death on screen. Um, we see Dre deal with this grief. We do a quick montage of her spiraling out of control. She basically cannot handle the grief that she has to deal with here. She feels like it's her own fault. You know, she wasn't there for her when she needed her, and this was the end result. And a lot of people can draw lines to, you know, this overall being Dre's fault because Marissa was always being held back by Dre, as we have seen already. The episode actually ends in what I, what, what in my opinion is the penultimate uh, establishing moment for what the series is. This is when Dre becomes the character that she is for the rest of the series. And that's when she confronts Marissa's ex-boyfriend, you know. Uh, when she took her life, she f just found out that he was cheating on her, and it's clear that he's not a great boyfriend, and that, you know, if Marissa didn't unalive herself in that moment, he was only going to cause a lot more problems. Uh, Dre comes to visit her. They have a pretty amicable conversation. It's clear that he's very remorseful over what happens. He says that he should have treated her better, all this stuff. He doesn't say anything or do anything that is villainizing by any point. Honestly, at this point, even though he's shown as being an asshole and he's always provided tension up to this point he hasn't done anything outright villainous uh he hasn't crossed any lines outright let's say so just just painting a picture of the overall morality ambiguity that's being presented with him as a character 
something I didn't expect in the slightest is just as he drops his guard around her, Dre just starts bashing his head in. I I mean, really in a brutal fashion, just over and over again with a blunt object, bashes his head in, uh, just commits outright murder. And that's how we end our first episode is we've gone on this crazy journey with this character where if you go back to the character introduction, I mean... Even just talking about this episode one, and I know I'm spending all this time only talking about episode one. I'm not going to do an episode by episode deep dive, but it just bear it bears looking into because, you know, I I thinking about Dre as we're introduced to her in this first episode, I literally don't recognize her. You know, the Dre that we get at the end of this episode is in keeping with the many forms of Dre that we get later on. But, you know, all everything up to that point is literally looking at like a different character. It's actually really surreal to go back and think about where her character journey started and kind of the different phases that she enters throughout the series. As soon as I saw that, I was a little worried that the series was going to be one of those shows where, you know, a random murder happens and then the rest of the series is trying to, you know, clean up the evidence from that murder and maybe murdering along the way to, to hide your tracks. You know, that narrative, you know, that that tension can be very interesting, but I feel like I've seen it done so many times recently that I'm just not interested in that anymore. Yeah, I've seen it on Good Girls. I've seen it on Barry, You. I mean, we've seen this so many times. Thankfully, that's not what the series does. There, There is an underlying layer of tension as a viewer knowing that, you know, as the narrative progresses, Dre is committing murders left and right. <laughs> she doesn't even flinch if she feels like she wants to that's just what she does and she seeks out those opportunities oftentimes as well but you're not you're not playing with the attention of when are they going to catch her you know they they kind of bring that in later on in episode six but it's not in a way that beats you over the head and that's not where the narrative is focused the narrative is focused on dre and her emotional journey dealing with her trauma and Basically, you're the whole time as a viewer, you're just like, what is she going to do next? Like, what now? After this, the narrative really kind of shifts and we start to put a bigger focus on Dre's obsession with Nija. It's something that her and her sister always connected with, connected over, and that is shown in the first episode as well. And I think that I think that we're meant to read in to Dre's obsession with Nija. I mean, it's it's she's. We see her tweets. We see her online community. She can't even make rent, yet she's willing to pour thousands of dollars into getting special tickets to see Nyjah in concert. This is her level of fandom. She admittedly will do anything for Nyjah, and that is what her online fandom community is echoing back towards her. So this is a character who already is a little neurodivergent. Uh, later on, it gets revealed that she's was raised in a foster care system. Uh, she has a lot of trauma from that, I'm sure. And then even when she is fostered by Marissa's parents later on, we'll get into those details when we get there. But even when she is taken in by them, that is fraught with its own level of, um, you know, trauma that's going on and their mishandling of taking in their, you know, this child. And so, you know, you get all this, you get all this preloading details into her and then you add within her a community of people that gives her this feedback loop of, uh, you know, if you mess with, with Nyjah, we are going to take you down. And she sees that and she takes it in very literally. And uh, my suspicion is that Dre and Marissa, when they were very young, they really connected over Nyjah. And that was probably her first real connection. 
And so the reason why she continues to be so obsessed over her to this day, to the point where she'll kill someone to defend her, just conceptually, if someone says they don't like Nigel, she will kill them. I mean, we see that over and over again, um, is because of that initial connection that she had with Marissa. And when Marissa actually dies, uh, it actually changes everything in Dre's head because now that the stakes have dropped that much for her, you know, her one person in her life who was kind of grounding her, looking out for her, keeping her on the right track has disappeared. Now all she's left is, is with all these emotions, you know, she hasn't resolved her feelings towards Marissa. So all these crazy emotions are just getting put in the Niger direction. and She's no longer able to, to regulate herself. So that's one narrative beat that's going. There's a few narrative beats that are, are going simultaneously uh, in this series. One is, you know, the her dealing, it's it's her her unhealthy relationship with her idol, Nyjah, and the fact that she over and over again kills people. She actually starts to seek people out online who have talked bad about Nyjah, seeks them out, and kills them. She does it, and she doesn't even flinch. So that's one of the narratives that, one of the emotional narrative beats that are happening. Another one that's really most interesting to me is the way that Dre is is chameleon, excuse me, I didn't say that word right. She is camouflaging uh, into every environment that she enters into. She's kind of on the run at this point, but really she's just looking for the next safe place to be while still being able to kind of pursue her desires. And you know, we see her become a stripper and, and this little stripper mini arc that we get, it only lasts about an episode and a half, but I think it's super interesting. I would watch a whole series, you know, all the murders and everything aside, I would just watch a series that was Dre, an autistic girl, uh, becoming a stripper because she has no other options, but finding this community within the other strippers around, you know, the kind of friendship that we were starting to see in the little ring of strippers. I, I actually liked it a lot. And I thought, you know, at this point, I thought, you know, this show's always playing with your expectations. I thought that was the story we were going to get for the rest of the series. I was thinking we'd get kind of a murder mystery while she learns and grows with the stripper community. I was all for it. <laughs> of course, that all comes to a head. And uh, <laughs> Dre does her thing. And with the strippers, without getting too much into details on this whole episode, she kind of leaves them to get caught with a dead body. Uh, they ended up killing this guy because Dre tried to kill him and this guy got the upper hand and the strippers had their back, had her back and took him out themselves. Of course, Dre immediately drives off with the only car that they had, leaving them just to be caught by the police. Now, I say all that to say that it was the first example of watching Dre blend into a new environment. At first, she's she sticks out like a sore thumb, thumb at this strip club, but with a little bit of guidance from her friends or her, you know, her soon-to-be friends, her co-workers at the strip club, uh, with a little bit of guidance from them, she really starts to become lean into it and she becomes kind of a star there. Uh, that's what we see very quickly. She gets really good at it in her own unique way. Um, and seeing her kind of blend into that environment, that was my first moment of whiplash being like, is this even the same girl? Or are we switching to the point of view of a different girl all of a sudden? I, I literally couldn't recognize her. That's an experience that I have multiple times watching this series, actually. Okay, the next thing I have to talk about is the cult episode with Billie Eilish. This was the peak of the series, in my opinion. I mean, it, it had maybe the least to do with 
with Dre's overall journey. If you look at her arc, where she was going, what her character motivations is, this is the biggest detour towards that, but it's easily the most gripping and interesting thing that's happening on screen. So we see with Dre, she basically ends up meeting another girl at a gas station. This is on her way to a Bonnaroo festival. It's a hippie girl. You know, it's what you'd expect. Her name is Cricket, and (laughs) she immediately takes a liking to Dre and convinces her to come back to her place to stay. Uh, We quickly find out that she lives kind of like on an all-female commune type situation that's pretty, pretty quickly you can read into it and see that it is a cult. Um, and the leader of this cult is played by Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish, as far as I know, this is her first time acting. We need to get this girl in movies ASAP. You know, I was skeptical. You know, she's young. She's like 20. She's only been in the music industry for a handful of years now. And I just didn't have the faith that Billie Eilish was going to knock it out of the park here. I didn't necessarily think she would do bad, but I had no reason to believe that she would be a draw or a reason to watch this series. What Billie Eilish did in this episode, I mean, maybe I'm easy to be impressed, but she, I was, I was really impressed. The way that she carries a scene, I mean, just visually on screen, she really holds her ground in just such a visually striking way, but she really did a good job of striking that balance and tone in terms of, she, A, she was an amazing leader, uh, <laughs> the skills and values that she was actually presenting to her, to her, you know, commune here, to her cult, to her, her following uh, was genuine. I always like an occult depiction when, you know, the leader of that cult is actually providing some level of value and let's say transcendent experience. I mean, if everyone in your cult feels like they're learning and growing from what you're providing, then, you know, then the waters get a little muddied in terms of what you're doing, whether or not it's bad. That being said, you can't deny that it's a cult because we actively see, uh, we see Billie Eilish's character cutting Dre off from her access, cuts her off from her phone, uh, kind of builds down her psyche, gets leverage on her in terms of she learns, she specifically tells her you need to give us leverage in order to stay within this community. Um, and she does that by learning the details of her past. So it, it's, it can't be denied that what's happening here is a negative situation. That being said, there's other members of the cult. There's one person who had an intense stutter who can speak with perfect diction now. So the value that's being provided there also cannot be overlooked. There's a scene in this episode when they are doing like a, I forget what they call it. They called it the EU evaluation or something like that. It's basically psychotherapy with Billie Eilish, one-on-one environment with the other members of the cult. And you know, she's doing this game with her where she snaps her fingers and asks her what's her name over and over again. And she's using a fake a- a- alias at this point. We actually see Dre take on many different names throughout the series. First, it's Carmen with the strippers. And here her name becomes Kayla. And Billie Eilish so quickly makes her drop her facade and gets her to admit information about herself that she wasn't even necessarily willing to share. So the effectiveness of her in that scene, not only was it translated well, but I really just believed it. You know, I believed the power that Billie Eilish had over this cult. Again, just to suck Billie Eilish's dick a little bit more here, uh, not only is she the youngest person on screen clearly amongst this cult, I mean, most of the followers seem like they have a a solid 10 to 15 years on her. Uh, It's just a praise to her acting and overall presence that she was able to command this level of respect and me as a viewer, I really bought that she 
could, you know, that her character could lead all these people even in her young years. This all reaches a boiling point when it occurs to Dre that she's been here maybe a little longer than she realized. She literally doesn't even realize what day it is anymore and that she is missing the Nigel concert. That's the whole reason she's in this town to begin with. Everything got so dazed and confusing for her that she lost sight of her goal. The second that her Nyjah fandom kicks back in, uh, she is no longer... I think maybe Billie Eilish, you know, what she was doing for Dre kind of distracted her enough. I think um, Billie Eilish became like a replacement idol for her uh, briefly until she remembered who her true love is, and that is Nyjah. Uh, Ironic because I think that Billie Eilish plays that role that Nyjah would be playing in this narrative for many people in real life. Uh, certainly intentional casting, I'm sure, is why they kind of put her in this position in the narrative. But once Dre kind of catches on to that, she is demanding for her phone back, and you know the girls are all trying to stop her from leaving, and it just reaches the point where Dre is not having it anymore, and she just runs her right over. I mean, she is dead. Dre is down to kill anyone who gets in her way at any given point, and that's exactly what she does to get out of this situation. Um, again, I don't feel like I did this episode quite justice, but I think anyone who watches it will also recognize it as a touch point moment in the series that really kind of submits the overall quality. And I think it does a lot for really establishing what the tone is. The, the tone has been set, but it hasn't been firm, firmly established until this point. Once you're here, it kind of, it's at this point in the narrative where you, more so kind of accept the journey that you're on with Dre and then you're you're kind of you're in the back seat, you fasten your seatbelt and you're along for the ride. Up to this point, it's all still very jarring and you're a little bit confused where we're going. And at this point I felt a lot more comfortable, <laughs> even though I'm talking about, you know, going on the narrative journey of killing people for psychotic reasons. For some reason at this point, in terms of pacing in the narrative, is where you really drop in with Dre and are really behind her and rooting for her. The next point in the narrative that I really want to dive into, this is the point where we learned pretty much everything we needed to learn about Dre. At this point, we weren't exactly sure of the the extent of the relationship between Dre and Marissa, her ceased sister. When, when Dre goes to the funeral, she's demanded to leave by the parents of the funeral. She's literally kicked out, which is confusing because to this point, we've only heard Marissa refer to as Dre's sister. So it's very confusing that the parents of the funeral would be shooing her away like she's some ex-boyfriend who got her killed. Who got her killed? I mean, at that point it's just a mystery and that mystery lingers until I believe it's episode 5 when we see Dre break into a very a very nice house. Uh, it's clear that the owners of this house are very affluent. What's also clear is that Dre clearly knows her way around this house like the back of her head. She is friends with the dog, like the dog kind of catches her breaking in, but then is very friendly with her. She's like, oh, we're still friends. They have a loving relationship. There's clearly a rapport that's been built between them. And the whole time you're meant to wonder, okay, what exactly is going on here? Because it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem possible that, that Dre's parents could possibly have kicked her out of her own sister's funeral and not have allowed for her any resources up to this point. What eventually gets revealed, uh, we get to see, you know, a big con- confrontation happens between 
Dre and the two parents that are still currently living there and guns are being pointed at each other at this point is that Dre was actually their foster child. So, I mean, in a sense, that is their parents, even though they did, you know, give her back at some point. It was the intention that Dre would consider them her parents. Um, That's how Marissa and Dre met each other. There's layers revealed that the dad wasn't maybe comfortable with Dre and Marissa. He thought that maybe they were hooking up and, you know, he wasn't comfortable with them having a gay relationship. It's clear that it's it's made clear that that was maybe the root of his concern with her. Um, they always had problems with her growing up just because they didn't know how to raise maybe a neurodivergent person or someone who had deals with a lot of trauma. So she was always out of their wheelhouse, but they certainly dropped the ball on dealing with her. Um, all that drama really comes to a head and she ends up fleeing the scene. But this is when we really learn everything about Dre. And it's hard It's hard to tell. I mean, it really becomes a conversation of chicken or the egg because there are so many aspects to Dre's character that that put her more that puts her morality on a scale that it's hard to determine exactly where she lies i mean i'm not going to say someone who is a who is a literal serial killer uh it's i don't think it's up for debate on where their morality lies but when you look at her history uh it's hard to i i won't say it's hard to blame her but you you see a little bit where all of her trouble is coming from I feel like that's an excellent way to talk about the the next big episode that's really a palate cleanser before we get to the finale. That episode is called Falling Through the Cracks. This one is definitely one of the more interesting episodes. I mean, if you if you watch this episode, if you watch this series and you see this episode, it, you're going to probably pause it and check to see if you're still watching the right episode. That is because uh, this episode takes basically a mockumentary approach from the point of view of the detective who like found dre basically caught dre and all the crimes that dre was doing uh from the point of view of that detective after the point that it all happened so this is like a retrospective um into how she solved this this mass murdering case at first i literally thought that we were watching the real detective that figured this out in real life because as the show makes sure to remind you that these events are based on true events it is intentionally trying to pay homage to the real life story that this is all based off of. And so I, w- I found it very confusing until they started imbuing a little bit more humor into it. And then it's clear that this is a mockumentary style. You know, uh, Donald Glover and his team on this episode are really uh, playing with the audience. They even show a clip of Donald Glover at some point during the episode talking about this project that he's going to make to bring light to the situation. So it's almost like this episode exists as a third party point of view into the entire situation there's like the real story that happened then there's donald glover's tv show uh starring dre following that and then there's like this third production that is this mockumentary style meant to pay homage to the actual detective who maybe sorted all these details out and does so in a very funny way so you see her it's actually very good because like earlier like i said like there, this is not a show about the cat and mouse. You know, this isn't about the detective trying desperately to put the pieces together and find out where Dre is and who's the mass murderer. It's not about that. But in this episode, you do get a glimpse of that kind of flavor of storytelling. I felt like doing it in this way, not only was it a surprise, but it was such a good way to subvert this tired trope of just following the serial killer. I've already seen the main character be a morally gray person who kills people and then 
see the detective on the flip side trying to catch them narratively. Ever since Breaking Bad, this has been a tired trope. Doing it in this in this way was not only fresh, but it provided a vehicle for some great humor from the point of view of the detective. I thought that it was hilarious. I mean, you're getting humor just in the mockumentary style, you know, the trope that was invented by the office in terms of having cameras zoom in and out like it's being filmed like a documentary, but it's not really one is always a good vehicle for humor in my opinion it just always kind of it's fraught for humor these you know one-on-one confessionals is just a good vehicle for making some funny scenarios but dropping it in here the narrative where we've already had crazy events being strung along and this show is consistently funny in a very irreverent way it was it was just perfect i mean i i won't say it was perfect it definitely could have landed a little better. They could have been a little bit more clear about what we were diving into because, like I said, I was paying really close attention, but it was hard. It was a little hard for me to understand where we were narratively in terms of what is real, what's not real. And I imagine casual viewers will really struggle with this show. This is a series that commands your attention and uh, requires you to pay attention to what's happening on screen or else you're going to get left behind. Uh, This episode is a weird version of that because it's not because of the details, uh, it's because of the tone. Uh, I didn't do that necessarily justice, but uh, I do appreciate the placement of this episode and where it was and what it provides. I think this could have been the final episode in a weird way, and they could have restructured it just a little bit for this to be the button to the series. But it being the a quick palate cleanser right before the finale, I think is the perfect spot for that to be in. Putting it right here, what it does is it sets up the finale to be a tragedy Actually, it, it begs a lot of questions the f- to the finale, and I, I'll be the first to admit that there could be some details flying over my head right now, because as we're about to talk about the finale, there's it, it's a little disjointed to what this f- uh, pre-episode to it uh, provides, so I guess let's just dive into that finale and see where we land here. This is where things get interesting. As was teased in episode six, right before the finale episode, you know, Dre has taken on her 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 new and final identity as Tony. Uh, Tony is uh, appears more androgynistic, which is definitely there were some androgynistic qualities to Dre's character in the first episode that I kind of picked up on. But um, doing it here was kind of the perfect evolution. I think that was like a perfect way for Dre to hide in plain sight is to kind of take on this kind of separate personality. Uh, she's way more laid back, way more cool, but not in the soft-spoken way that she was before. Actually, seeing this version of Dre as Tony, it's almost like every time that Dre gives herself a new name, she's able to take on a completely different personality. And that's made most clear with her transformation into Tony. It's interesting because the way that she's delivering her lines as Tony, there's no... There's no winks at the previous version of herself before, yet at the same time, this is just the best transformation of her character because it feels like a separate character. The way that she's delivering lines, her overall cadence, her presence, the way that she physically stands on screen, this is a different performance that's being created, yet there are subtleties to the performance that make you, that reminds you that this is Dre the whole time. It's, I feel a disconnect. I feel weirdly split in half over the fact that this feels like a different character completely, yet it feels ultimately true to Dre's character at the same time. There's a weird dissonance that's happening there. And I just think that that's so impressive. Um, 
My only complaint is I actually wish that we had a couple more episodes as Tony. One of the most interesting things out of the entire season is that we get to see Dre start this whole relationship with the girl as Tony. She's starting a whole life. At the very end, they go to celebrate a one-year anniversary. They, you know, Dre as Tony gets to meet her parents and everything. And I just wish that we actually got to sit in that for at least one more episode and actually really let that develop. I'm not, it, it's the payoff for it actually still works. And I, I'll definitely say to the show's credit, like they don't, they don't necessarily need another episode. I just want another episode. Uh, they definitely communicate everything they need to effectively. I guess it's a credit to me having fallen in love with the characters and really enjoyed being in this world that I actually wanted to see a little bit more before we got to our eventual downfall in that final final few scenes there um that being said uh the relationship that she gets into this girl is definitely meant to mirror marissa i think that that cannot be denied not only do they look alike they have a similar sensibility um the way that they interact with dre in particular you know it was the most i felt like i was seeing marissa on screen at any point and so i think that that's a big reason why their relationship does happen is that Dre kind of has finally found someone that kind of takes that place of Marissa. And the tragedy here is, you know, you, you seeing Dre meet her, her parents and, and that's, that's when I first saw the parallels between Marissa and her new girlfriend is that the parents are so much like Marissa's parents. And you, you know, you, you're seeing her step into her family in a pseudo way, right? Just like you would if you were marrying. So if I married my girlfriend today, I would, have this, you know, relationship with their parents where they in a way are my parents. So there's a pseudo entering into a family dynamic in that way, which mirrors the same way that Dre entered Marissa's family in in the form of adoption, of course. So I think that comparison is definitely meant to be there. And it's layered with this extra tragedy that if, you know, if Dre wasn't killing people this whole time, you know, obviously the, her string of murders is meant to be a reaction to uh, the loss of Marissa. I mean, it's not just directly that, but that's definitely a big part of it. If she reacted differently, if she was able to handle her trauma, perhaps with Marissa in a more effective way, if she had the resources, if she didn't fall through the cracks, then this is a glimpse at what her future could have been. You know, if, if she maybe received some real level of therapy and actually got the help that Jay clearly needs, you know, she could live a happy life with someone like Marissa, like the person that she found and actually have like an accepting family. Um, I think that they really, they're packing that into this episode just to really underscore the tragedy that becomes of it later on. And I'll just jump right into it. You know, just like we see in episode one when Dre gets tickets to see Nyjah for her and Marissa, uh, Marissa doesn't react very well to that, uh, not in the moment because it's revealed to her in the middle of this big fight. And so it just gets sweeped over. You know, we get a mirroring of that, a mirroring of that entire interaction happened here in the last episode to celebrate their one year anniversary. Dre, who has been very distant to this point in the relationship, has clearly dropped her guard a lot and, you know, has allowed this person to come into her life just like Marissa, just like she has Nigel. She holds space for special people and fixates all her attention on them. And it's clear that she's done that. Um, she gets tickets to see Nigel to celebrate. Uh, of course, she's still not making rent and spending money on these tickets, and so her girlfriend doesn't take that very well. Uh, she takes it so poorly, in fact, that she gets in her face and just underscores over and over again how much she does not like Nyjah and how stupid of a decision this was. 
this was the final straw for for Dre. Um, the first, the moment that they first meet, this character, the girlfriend says to Dre that she doesn't like Niger. That happens already, but because she's confused and has you know an attraction to this character, she kind of lets it slide, and that's very interesting because that's a that's a hint that maybe Dre is getting some character growth maybe she's not just killing everyone who doesn't like Nyjah it's even implied that there's been multiple fights throughout their relationship over the fact that she doesn't like Nyjah so obviously Dre as a character has grown a lot and like has created a much higher tolerance of people not just loving Nyjah the way that she does but it's in this fight that it's just taken to the extreme and she reaches her breaking point she just immediately starts putting her hands over her neck uh, and what we see is a very painful death. Uh, she kills her girlfriend of over a year because they disagreed over liking Nyjah. Uh The way that that played out, you know, they really let you sit in that scene and watch you strangle her the entire time it would take for her to pass out. Um, very uncomfortable to watch. Very tragic. It's just tragic, you know? I mean, that that's really the main way to describe it because what we're getting is these subtle glimpse of hope for Dre's character, but they all just come crashing down as she gives back into her same tendencies as she always has done. One thing I haven't thought about until just now, but I actually appreciate the way that they've done all the killing scenes in this show. It's weirdly gruesome, but they hold back. I'm not a fan of seeing really gruesome stuff. I don't I don't mind it when gruesome things happen, but when I'm getting a close-up of a rock smashing in a human's head, I just don't need that, you know? it's My palate just doesn't need that. You know, you use it here and there for shock value and content. I think it's well used often, but a lot of shows really focus on that gory aspect for the shock value, and it just, it's too much for me. In this series, they show Dre doing the violence every time, but the camera angle, you don't see the 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 point of impact. Um, and I appreciate that. You'll see blood splattering, sure. Um, so it does communicate gruesome, like it sets the tone. The first time that you see her killing someone, you're seeing the blood splatter everywhere, and you you can feel and hear the weight of the killing that's happening. But they they hide enough of it that it's still palatable, if that makes sense. Um, another aspect to it is every time she does kill, there's also uh, uh, there's. You, you see her turn into an animal in a big way. The first killing happened and she immediately starts tearing into the food in her fridge with crazed animal eyes and she'll often go bug-eyed on her face. Um, you know, obviously I don't know what it's like to kill someone, but I imagine being in that in that inflamed space that you would take on this animalistic-like tendency. And whatever she did to communicate all that, I believed it. Uh, every time that she went ahead and decided to kill someone every time that, that she took that step. I really believed and saw it on her face, and I really believed and saw it in this moment where she killed her girlfriend. She ends up burning the body of her girlfriend uh, to get rid of the evidence, and in doing so, she also accidentally burns the tickets that she just spent all of her money on. Um, that being said, she's not getting slowed down. In this one afternoon, she's revealed this information. She's killed her girlfriend. She's burned the body, but she's still going to Nigel's concert. Uh, this was the most remorse that we've seen Dre have over killing someone. And when I say most, I mean any at all. You know, she says, you you hear the pain in her as she does the final strangle. You know, she's crying. She's saying, I loved you. She's saying all these things, which is a lot more than she has with anyone else. But the second that she's done, she moves on from it. She just moves on. She literally goes straight to the Nyjah concert. 
uh, she kills someone again just to get in because she, she, you know, she steals tickets off of someone by killing them and not paying them for it. And this is where things get really weird. Okay. She makes her way to the front of the line at the Nyjah concert. Again, this is Beyonce. And it's very clear in the final scene. If I was thinking it since episode one that this was supposed to be a reference to Beyonce. But if you weren't convinced by then, you'll be convinced in the final episode once you see, you know, her and her dancers and how she looks overall on stage. And, you know, she climbs on stage maybe to bite Nyjah again. We're not sure. Uh, but she gets tackled. She gets restrained. And then Nyjah says, wait. Let her sing in front of everyone. And essentially, all of Dre's hopes and dreams, all of her aspirations that she's wanted this whole time come true. Uh, we see Nyjah accepting Dre. Uh, they hug, become friends. They drive off together in a limo. I mean, it's as if it's as if the narrative is telling me that everything that Dre did to get to this point was the right move because she got everything she wanted in the end. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. Um, you know, I said earlier, I don't like it when a series has this ambiguous tone in terms of what's happening in real life. Is this just from the character's point of view or is this actually what's happening? This is this final moment in the series uh, is the one time where they go over the line with it in terms of there is no answer. I mean, I, as you know, the episode before this was from the point of view of a detective as if that they caught the murderer, you know, they caught Dre. But as this episode ends off, it doesn't seem like anyone's caught. It seems like she's living her her fantasy with Nyjah. And so I just don't know where I'm meant to stand after walking away from the series. I'm sure that's intentional. I mean, I'm sure they did it on purpose. Uh, I kind of hate endings like this. I'm not a big fan of the ambiguous ending uh, of the, you know, it's whatever the viewer is meant to to project onto the narrative. I'm not, I'm never really into that. Um, and, it, and like I said, this is the only moment where the series does it. Of course it is the final moment of the series. Um, if I were to wager a guess, I would say that that was probably a fantasy um, per, you know, earlier on in the series, I forgot to mention this episode, but we actually see Dre uh, run into Nyjah at a club and actually bite her and like literally bite a piece of flesh off of her in, in Dre's head, she thinks that she's biting into a dessert. So there's this weird disconnect where she snaps back to reality and is just running out of the club because apparently she just bit into Nyjah. My guess is that something similar to that is happening here, and we just never got the scene to see what really happened. Um, maybe she did crawl up on stage, and then she got shooed away, arrested right then and there. They realized what her identity was, and that's how she ends up in prison for the rest of her life. Maybe that's how it goes. Maybe I need to do some research. I guess I could have probably looked this up before I started this. But, you know, here on the Darius show, what we're really good at is the guessing game, right? I like to make wild assumptions. <laughs> but, yeah, I th I'm, I'm going to assume that's what happens. Uh, I mean, hey, if she gets she gets to go live her life with Nyjah at the end of this story, all power to her. But uh, my assumption is uh, the former, is that she was probably caught right there on stage they arrested her. Now that she's in the system, they finally caught who's been doing all these murders. One thing I find myself asking now that I've made it to the end of these seven episodes is, you know, what was Dre's character? Do do I like Dre's character? Uh, I, I, I think that you're made over the course of the season to you're made to vilify her. I think that's what the series does. I mean, in episode one, we see her do a, a murder. Of course, um, it's not a justified murder, but the character that she murdered was one that has already been shown multiple times to be a not likable guy. Um, even though he doesn't outright do anything 
morally re- reprehensible, uh, you know, in terms of her killing him at the beginning, you're still kind of on her side. But then you see her continue and just continue to make these poor decisions and just taking lives with zero remorse whatsoever. She's really a terrible person. I mean, it's weird that they've made me so endeared towards someone who is a mass murderer. And it's not just like, it's not death note. You know, it's not, it's not, the narrative isn't doing the work to try to say that she has a justified purpose. It's nothing like that. She just doesn't care. She's just willing to kill people if she doesn't like what they're saying to her. Um, Yet, for some reason, the show spends enough time with this character. We get to sit with her so much. We see her face and we see her reactions to so many things that for some reason I find myself still liking her. Um, this is certainly a dilemma that's been presented in fiction before of, you know, presenting a protagonist who is the bad guy for all intents and purposes. Uh, but you as the audience uh, still root for them. I mean, that's not a new feat in fiction. For some reason, this property feels like it did it in a unique way that I haven't quite seen before. And I can't exactly put my finger on what quality it's bringing to the table that's allowing it to do that, but it's what I feel. I feel challenged by this show. Uh, Since I finished watching it, I can't stop thinking about it. (laughs) Um, And I think that being said, I think that just about covers it. I'm sure I missed a lot. I mean, this show is such a densely packed one. There is so much to read into it. I really picked a doozy for my first episode back after being on hiatus here. But I mean... I I couldn't not talk about this show and not enough people I know have seen it yet. So I had to bring it here on the pod. Uh, Have you guys seen this show? Let me know what you think about it. What I mean, I made a lot of assumptions here in this podcast. So I actually would really this is the most I've actually wanted feedback on a show that I've watched is because I feel like I've read so much into it. And I think I got some stuff right here, but I know I'm still missing. I I know I'm still missing some pieces here. And it's, it's very possible that I read some implications and some metaphors wrong here um this show is definitely bigger than i can possibly take it all in for uh so yeah thank you for listening guys this has been my discussion on swarm on amazon prime you should definitely check it out um my goal is to bring a lot more episodes on the podcast i had a lot of fun doing the first 50 episodes here and you know i've been moving and everything and i just found myself dropping the ball and hopping on the mic here but i want to challenge myself to continue to bring content here and to uh, express myself through this medium in different ways. Easiest way for me to do that is talking about the TV shows and movies that I love to watch. But of course, uh, if you're a fan of this feed, you'll see that I talk about other stuff as well. So if you have any feedback, let me know. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, my email is thedshowpod at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W-P-O-D at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let me know what you think. Give this give this podcast a rating. Give me a follow. Do all that good stuff, guys. I'd really appreciate it. And if there's anything else you want me to talk about or have any feedback, just let me know. All right. That has been it for Swarm. My name's Darius, as always. And remember, I love you.